Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Well, good morning. It is good to see some of you again for the second time in 24 hours. Who was here yesterday for the pig out? Woo, what a great day that was. It was amazing. You can see uh, Larry's Grill is still here, that beautiful piece of art. Special thank you to Larry and his uh, brother-in-law, Jacob, who were here from 2 o'clock Friday night until you ate yesterday um, and even beyond that. So uh, thank you to Larry and all of you who helped make yesterday, all of you who volunteered. The band was amazing. It was just a great day. Uh, before I get into the sermon, uh, I did want to say, just make reference to you, hopefully, those of you who have pledged to peace received a stewardship letter that was just updating you on our status and also included your uh, giving statement up to the year so far. And as you saw in the letter, and if you haven't seen the letter, we're, we're a little bit, we're kind of a typical summer slump that we have every year, nothing major, uh, but it's uh, staff has curtailed some of their spending in order to make up the difference, and it's going okay. But just a reminder for you to look at your giving statements, see where you are if you pledged, and uh, just a reminder to do that, because it goes, as you heard, to support the great ministries that we've been talking about, like what we're doing down in Southeast Ohio. Um, so thank you. All right, let's talk about Ruth. And uh, this is a great book of the Bible, if you're not familiar with it. It's only four chapters long. It's, according to Scripture, an easy read, and it's a great, great story. And so we're looking at this story today to kind of go along with finding God in the ugly, because it is definitely one that uh, does that. But I want to preface the book of Ruth by saying names in Ruth are everything. The names that they reference have great meaning, and they're often hidden meaning, and you don't realize what the names mean. So we're going to point some of that out today. But to give you kind of an example of this, I was doing some research into kind of hidden meanings in names. And the author Charles Dickens, you've heard of this book he wrote called David Copperfield. David Copperfield has a little bit of a hidden meaning in there in that the initials for David Copperfield are D, C, and when you flop those... It is C.D., the initials of Charles Dickens, because David Copperfield is the closest he ever got to writing his autobiography. And so it's his little secret way of swapping the initials. Now, here's an even better one. Some Star Wars fans in here? Okay. Three of you. Um, the name Darth Vader. You know what that means? Dark father. Father. It's a little, it's a little hidden uh, Dutch word in there. Vader means father. Aren't you glad you didn't know that when you started watching the movie? So you'd have been watching it the whole time going, oh, it's Luke's dad. Oh, okay. I'm your father. So, in Ruth, we're going to get to some names too. And so let me dive in here. And with verse one, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You're welcome. But uh, verse one starts like this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a 
famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Emelech. So they go, uh, what happens here is right away, the storyteller is telling us where this story's headed. So there is a famine in their hometown of Bethlehem. Now this is a bit of an irony because do you know what Bethlehem means in Hebrew? House of bread. House of bread. I've always loved that because uh, we, we worship Jesus, the, the bread of life, and he comes from a city called House of Bread. And so there is a famine. There is no bread in the House of Bread. And so the characters have to flee to Moab. And now this Moab, I'm not going to tell you what that means because there's kids in the room. Moab is... It, it has a meaning too, and if you want to know what it means, I will tell you after the service in private. But Moab uh, is enemy territory. It's important to know that, and so it's that bad. The author is setting the scene that this famine is that devastating. They are this hungry that they are fleeing to enemy territory. So right away, we know this is a story that's going to deal with great loss. So the name of the man, as I said, was Emelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained, remained there. So Naomi is the, one of the main characters here, the wife of Emelech, and her name, Naomi, means, anyone know? Pleasant. Pleasant. It's a nice name, right? Naomi? Pleasant. Now, her sons, unfortunately, are Malon and Chilon, or Chilion, and Malon means sick, and Chilion means tired. <laughs> so, can you imagine, like, you, you come wandering into Moab, hey, my name's Naomi, this is my, these are my boys, sick and tired. <laughs> I mean, some of you maybe wanted to name your children that, but sick and tired. And so they flee into this country of Moab, and the story takes a tragic turn pretty quick. As they come to Moab, uh, Naomi loses her husband, he dies, and then both of her sons die. So they come to flee this country. It doesn't tell us how they died, but they flee their hometown. They end up in Moab, and now Naomi has nothing except her daughter-in-laws because Malon and Chilion had married Ruth and Orpah. Now, Q. Jones informed me this week because he is the wealth of all worthless knowledge. But Orpah... Do you know what famous person got her name from that? It's not hard to figure out. Oprah, because somebody mispronounced it all the time, and so she just went with the mispronouncement of the name. So there you go, your worthless trivia for the day. 
So the story, as I said, so she loses everything except she has her two daughter-in-laws and she tries to convince them to go on. There's nothing left for them here. I'm not gonna be able to provide you with anything. Widows in this day were, they had no status whatsoever. It's an unfortunate circumstance of being a patriarchal society. And so here I'm gonna read from verse 13 now. Uh, Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far better, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept out loud. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But then Ruth says in one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible, Ruth says this, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. And so the two went on to Bethlehem. And when they came, so they go back home to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And then Naomi, listen, listen to this emotion here. And then Naomi says, call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. Bitter. So think of the emotion in this story right now. You have this woman who's lost everything. She's lost her husband and she's lost both of her boys. And so she comes back to her hometown and she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Now I know some of you know what this feels like. You've had a circumstance in life where you can identify with, I don't wanna be pleasant, I'd rather be bitter. When I was in my early 20s, I worked for a company some of you may have heard of, Borden. I was a dairy salesman, guy in a suit and a Ford Taurus driving around selling milk and ice cream. And they moved me up to Cleveland where I lived for all of three months when they laid me off and took my car. So I felt a little bitter, but I heard the story of one of the other guys that they let go. He lived in Chicago. And when they told him to bring his keys in and turn them in, he decided to take the company car to O'Hare Airport where he parked it and mailed them their keys and said, it's at the airport. That's bitter. (laughs) But maybe you've experienced that sort of bitterness in a job loss or some circumstance in life that was unfortunate. But I know some of you have experienced even more profound bitterness than that. Some of you have lost your spouse. Some of you have lost a child. Some of us have gone through the bitterness of divorce. Some of you right now are in the circumstance of life changes. This time of year always sees for the first time people who are going through the emotion of being empty nesters. 
Whatever life sometimes throws our way, we can sometimes identify with, you know what, I don't want to be pleasant right now. (laughs) Don't call me pleasant. Call me anxious. Call me sad. Call me depressed. Call me lonely. (laughs) We know what that feels like sometimes when we don't feel like being pleasant, but we'd rather be something else. So notice, though, what happens in this story. Ruth, Ruth has claimed to walk with her through it all. We'll get to Ruth's name in a minute. The story of Naomi feeling stuck. And I want to point out that it's okay for us when we have those emotions. It's okay to have them. They're given to us by God for a reason. I mean, sometimes we want to call funerals a celebration of life because we don't want to admit that we're sad, but it's okay at times of grief to admit it because sometimes, almost every time, you have to go through the grief to get to a new day. You're never going to not have that hole in your heart, but we have to go through our emotions, but the hope is that we don't get stuck there. There's this great psalm, Psalm 71, and in it the author says something to the effect of, the Lord has led me through trouble. The Lord has led me through a period of bitterness, but the Lord restores my life. It's like the author has been through some trying circumstances and knows that in it all, God is still leading him to a new day. Sometimes in order to get unstuck, there's something or more often, someone that helps us do that. Someone that has promised to walk beside us through whatever it is that we're dealing with. And so in this story for Naomi, it is, of course, Ruth. Do you know what Ruth means in Hebrew? Friendship. Friendship. And nowhere else in Scripture is there, is there a better example of that. And, and sometimes I think, did Naomi sometimes wake up and just feel like, Ruth, will you just leave me alone? Will you just bug off for a while? Like, I just want to wallow where I am. But I, I, I picture like Ruth every morning coming into Naomi's room and saying, nope, get up, come on. We're facing this day and we're facing it together. Whatever it brings, we will face it together. And I'm thinking like, okay, so what does that look like in maybe our worlds to have a friend like that? And maybe for some of you, it's an AA sponsor that, that has called you out on occasion and has promised to, to be there calling you, checking in on you. Or maybe for some of you, it's a friend that, that when you were going through a time, or maybe you're that friend, you, you call someone up and they're like, no, I don't feel like lunch today. Too bad, I'm picking you up at 11.30. The friend that's not gonna take a no, that's going to walk beside you no matter what. So that for Naomi is Ruth. And Ruth, uh, it it does this cool thing where she not only wanna provides for her and, and her mental state, but she wants to make sure she's eating and taking care of. So in the story, Ruth then heads out and she goes to a field and it says that she goes to this certain field and she gleaned in the field. Now that's hard for us to understand without some context here. In the, in the days of Ruth, in the Bible, it was a commandment from the Torah that farmers were to keep the corner of their field for the down and out, for the oppressed 
for people that were hungry. And so the, the oppressed could go to the corner of that field and they could take some grain, some of the harvest. And so Ruth goes to glean some of this wheat, whatever it is that they're harvesting, and there she looks up and she sees this biblical stud. This is Brad Pitt of the Old Testament. His name is a great name. Boaz. Boaz. Any Boazes in the room? You know what that means? It, it, it literally in Hebrew means man of strength, but it could be translated more as a man of honor. This is a good guy. This is a guy who, even though he is, he is feeding this woman who is an alien, a hated alien, he is still offering her some of his harvest. And they have this mutual attraction. And I think it's important to point out, I was talking with Pastor Tony this morning, I think it's important to point out that this is not a case where all of a sudden a man comes and saves the day. This is still two women that have worked through a situation together, and it is important to note that it is a patriarchal society, and as widows, they have no standing. And so they have found a way to rise back up, and then there is this mutual affirmation attraction that Ruth and Boaz have for each other. So it's a healthy relationship. They end up married. Ruth conceives a child. And now listen to where this story goes, because this is really cool. So she conceives, and the nurse for the child becomes Naomi. And so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the woman said, "The women said to Naomi, "Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law." who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. And this, this is a story where it started out and Naomi was empty. And at the end of this story, she has been filled. And then listen to this next line. Then Naomi took the child. Notice what it doesn't say. Mara. She's back. She's pleasant. Naomi took the child, laid him in her bosom, and became his nurse. The women in the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Obed means servant of the Lord. And so this story has come full circle. Now, I think it's important to say this. Naomi, I don't think ever would say, well, I'm glad all that crap happened so I could get here. She would never wish the, for what, the horror that has taken place in losing her husband and her children. Nobody would wish that upon her, even though the Lord has led her to a new day. It's not a story of, well, that led me to a better place. It's a story of a God who in the loss still restores and leads us to a new day. The whole will always be there, but the Lord continues to restore us and renew us. Now, here's the part I want to close on. So she gives birth to Obed. Naomi's 
life has been restored. Obed becomes the father of a certain man named Jesse. Jesse became the father of another man maybe you've heard of, David. David, which means blessed. (laughs) So picture that. We have a Moabite alien who's been at work with, with a man named Boaz and Naomi, and together these three have created this bizarre circumstance where the Lord restores and continues to move the story further. And then David's lineage, a few generations later, maybe you've heard of this guy, Jesus. His name means the Lord saves. So maybe you've been through some bitterness periods. Maybe you're going through one now. But here's the hope. We worship a God who promises to restore. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen.